0: Imagine being accused of fabricating a horrific incident involving your own home invasion and kidnapping. In 2015, this was a reality for Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn, whose story the police found unimaginable. I'm Chelsea May, and this is Exhibit May. Story explodes.
1: It
2: was so sexy. The bizarre kidnapping case that looked like a real-life gone girl. It was Gone Girl,
0: Nancy Grace. Is Huskins a real life gone girl? Like the movie? The movie Gone Girl is about a woman who fakes her own kidnapping. When 29-year-old Denise Huskins and 30-year-old Aaron Quinn first met, Sparks flew and their chemistry was undeniable. Denise had recently moved to Northern California to pursue a nine month physical therapy residency at Kaiser Hospital in Vallejo. And coincidentally, Aaron was also employed in the same department where he taught classes for the program. The two became infatuated with each other during their professional interactions and couldn't seem to get enough. Denise had never felt anything like that before. However, she didn't get her hopes up because Aaron had recently ended his engagement with a woman who had been unfaithful and didn't seem ready to let go of that relationship. Denise could sense his internal struggle and it didn't take long for him to confide in her, and over the following months, their connection deepened. In August, Aaron's ex finally moved out and for the next seven months, the new couple fell in love and spent every waking moment together. Things took a distressing turn in the relationship at the end of February 2015 when Aaron's struggles resurfaced when he sent Denise a text, confessing that he'd been communicating with his ex and expressing his desire to get back together. Denise was devastated as they spent time apart, engaging in a two week long exchange of text messages trying to figure out how they should move forward. Eventually, Aaron proposed that they should talk face-to-face and as a result, the pair made arrangements to meet the following day at his residence in Mare Island Vallejo. On Sunday, March 23, 2015, at around 5.30 p.m., Denise reached Aaron's colonial-style residence in the San Francisco Bay Area. Despite feeling uneasy about being in the house he had shared with his ex for two years, she decided to bring her overnight bags, hoping things would go well. Denise cautiously entered the house and into the kitchen, keeping her emotions guarded, greeting him with a one-armed hug. The couple settled on the couch, releasing pent-up emotions while enjoying pizza and beer. Afraid of losing Denise, Aaron openly discussed his ongoing therapy that had helped him understand his destructive behavior. He also said that he had taken the initiative to remove all remains of his ex's presence assuring Denise that he was finally ready to fully commit to their relationship. In return, an emotional Denise expressed her desire to forgive him but acknowledged that rebuilding trust would take time. After an extensive conversation that lasted eight hours, the emotionally drained pair finally headed upstairs to bed around midnight. Denise and Aaron climbed into bed, their minds weary, but their hearts filled with excitement for the fresh start they had envisioned together. As they cozied up under the blankets, the stress of the day gradually melted away as they drifted off to sleep in each other's arms. However, their peaceful sleep was rudely interrupted at 3 a.m. when a voice they didn't recognize cut through the darkness shouting, wake up, this is a robbery. As her vision became more apparent and her body stiffened by fear, she was horrified to find the walls bathed in a flickering white glow as she noticed two or three menacing red dots aimed directly at them.
1: The voice kept saying, wake up, this is a robbery. We're not here to harm you. I opened my eyes and they're, flashing light and he said Aaron turn over and like that was another like oh my god what is this So he said i'm gonna leave some ties at the, the edge of the bed you're going to tie his hands behind his back and his feet together and i was shaking um and he was encouraging me saying you're doing a good job
0: the man nicknamed the voice then led her into the bedroom closet where she lay face down on the floor as he tightly bound her wrists and ankles Shortly after, Aaron discovered himself positioned alongside Denise with their heads turned away from each other. Their sight was quickly obstructed when swim goggles covered with duct tape to restrict their vision was secured around their eyes. As they listened to several intruders rummaging through their house, headphones were quickly placed over their ears, muffling any surrounding sounds. A soft wind chime serenaded their ears for 30 seconds, the melodic tunes seamlessly transformed into a digitally modified voice echoing the following message. Remain calm. We have no intention of causing harm. You are not to blame. Our motives are solely financial. The situation will come to an end shortly. After several repetitions of those phrases, Denise listened attentively as another message reached her ears. It informed her that a medical professional would soon arrive to assess their vitals. Furthermore, the message specified that they would be administered a combination of NyQuil and Diazepam, either orally or through injection, depending on their compliance in opening their mouths. To their surprise, the medical professional turned out to be none other than the voice himself. He meticulously checked their blood pressure and inquired about their medical backgrounds before administering the prescribed medications. Understanding there was no point of fighting back, they followed the instructions and drank the liquid as they were told. Meanwhile, the ongoing recording playing through their headphones reiterated that the intruders would soon inquire about their bank accounts, passwords, and personal information. Denise was then moved to a separate room and instructed to lie on the floor while a larger set of headphones was placed over her ears. This time, the new recording delivered a chilling warning. If she didn't answer their questions truthfully, they would harm Aaron with an electric shock and inflict injuries to his face. The voice then took hold of her phone and demanded her passcode. Before returning to the bedroom, the voice inquired if there was anything on her phone she didn't want her boyfriend to see. Confused, she answered no. As a man re-entered the adjacent room, Denise overheard Aaron reciting a cluster of numbers hoping it would convince them to accept their money and depart.
2: First things he said to me when they separated us was that he gave my parents address where I grew up, you know, all my bank account records, this was stuff, Um, so as it kept on going, you could tell that this was planned and then I was given multiple instructions by uh, pre-recorded messages.
0: Out of the blue, the voice made its presence felt once again, informing Denise that she would be relocated to the living room. In a swift motion, the voice lifted her into his arms and carried her downstairs, settling her on the leather couch. Denise couldn't catch the words exchanged between the two upstairs, but she did hear her boyfriend release a deep guttural sigh, causing her panic to intensify. The voice made his way back downstairs, returning with a sense of urgency. With a serious tone, he declared a significant problem, stating, this was not meant for you. It was intended for Aaron's ex-fiance. Denise hoped that the confusion would result in them deciding to leave. Instead, things took another turn. He told Denise it would take her for 48 hours while Aaron completed a few tasks. The voice proceeded to inform her that she would be placed inside the trunk of Aaron's car and transferred to another vehicle, which would transport her to a distant location where she would be held captive. Once again, he lifted her into his arms and carried her to Aaron's 2000 Toyota Camry, where he placed Denise into the trunk. I thought
1: that it was probably the beginning of the end of my life. And I could only imagine what was in store for me.
0: Back in the house, Aaron, still blindfolded by the goggles, had another set of headphones placed over his ears. The message informed him that hidden cameras had been installed throughout the house and he would be relocated downstairs to the living room. The recording revealed that the intruders belonged to a black market group that had been hired to collect payment with his former partner being the intended target due to personal and financial debts. As the recording ended, the voice persisted in giving instructions telling Aaron to call in sick to work the following morning and send a text message to Denise's boss citing a family emergency that would necessitate her absence for a week. Additionally, he was directed to withdraw $15,000 as a ransom for a safe release. Guided by the voice, he descended the stairs and slumped onto the couch.
2: He puts duct tape around my ankles. He asked me if I'm comfortable. And I was shivering I asked for a blanket and, and he goes, oh I'm sorry, I didn't realize how cold it is because we're wearing wetsuits."
0: He was instructed to stay on the couch until morning when he would then be allowed to stand up and use the scissors on the counter to free himself. The voice then vanished and effects of the drugs began to kick in, causing Aaron to lose consciousness around 5am. Still groggy from the drugs, Aaron woke up before 7 a.m. and followed the instructions to call his and Denise's supervisors to let them know they were unwell and wouldn't be at work. He then drifted back to sleep until 11.30 a.m. when he was abruptly awakened by a series of emails and text messages saying that Denise was in good health but demanding two payments of $8,500. Aaron promptly dialed his bank and told them that he needed the money to purchase a used ski boat, only to be informed by an employee that he could only obtain a cash advance of $3,520. Gripped by fear of the potential consequences, he quickly responded to the kidnappers, informing them of the reduced amount. As 30 long minutes ticked by without a reply, panic set in while he contemplated his options. Despite being unable to call 911, due to monitoring software on his phone, he considered reaching out to his brother, Ethan, who happened to be an FBI agent. Determined, he firmly pressed the call button while his heart raced anxiously, but unfortunately the phone went to voicemail. In a last ditch effort, Aaron dialed Ethan's girlfriend, Catherine, and relief washed over him as he heard her concerned voice on the other end of the line. Whispering urgently, he begged Catherine for his brother's help as he recounted the intrusion into his house, Denise's abduction, and the kidnapper's demand for ransom. Though visibly taken aback by the shocking revelation, Catherine assured him that she would contact Ethan immediately and in less than a minute his name appeared on the caller ID. After a quick summary of the situation, a concerned but composed Ethan convinced Aaron to contact
2: authorities. So the kidnappers had set up a camera to monitor me and then also put a mirroring app on my phone. So they said if I called the police, uh, they would kill Denise. As it went on, I realized the camera wasn't fully operating, and I believe my best choice of action was to call.
0: At 1.54 p.m., Aaron dialed 911 and informed the dispatcher about his girlfriend's abduction. Shortly after, the police arrived on scene. It had been nine hours since Denise had been taken and Aaron briefed officers Garcia and Coelho on the situation. The officers doubted whether Aaron had taken drugs which was reasonable given his untidy appearance and slightly slurred speech. Aaron claimed that he had been drugged but it soon became apparent that the officers were skeptical and didn't trust anything he said.
2: Yeah they accused me of being drugged. I said yes I am, but they drugged me. I, mean, I gave him permission to go search through my house. I gave him access to all my email accounts because the kidnappers were emailing. And fairly quickly, they turned to, a detective, said, I do said, I don't believe you. Just started saying I killed Denise.
0: Meanwhile, Denise had been moved to a different car trunk and eventually she and her captors reached an undisclosed destination. Her eyes remained blindfolded, leaving her unaware of their precise location or the nature of the structure they had entered. Dragged across the concrete, Denise found herself in the garage while the voice informed her of his need to prepare things. Lying on the cold ground, she could hear him scrubbing something nearby. Images from various horror movies flashed in her mind and she couldn't help but imagine that he was cleaning up the bloody remains of his previous victims. The scrubbing stopped and the voice reappeared, cutting the zip ties binding Denise's ankles. He then told her that the bathroom was ready and to cleanse herself thoroughly, washing any potential evidence or traces from her body. After completing her cleanup, the voice guided her to an L-shaped couch while he continued preparing another room. Upon his return, he escorted her to the bedroom furnished with a queen sized bed. He reassured her of his lack of harmful intentions and promised her release within 48 hours. Denise and drifted in and out of sleep while the voice was absent until the following day when her worst fears loomed closer to becoming a horrifying reality. The voice returned and revealed the disturbing plan that one of them would engage in sexual activity while recording it and warned that any resistance would lead to the video being shared online. My only hope was to maybe
1: show him the human that is in front of him. He shared with me that he just had a difficult time in his life, and kind I of shared with him something that happened when I was younger, um, hoping maybe that knowing that I've already been assaulted that that he won't want to add to it. but.
0: Back at the police station, Aaron went through all the details of the incidents once again with Detective Matt Mustard and Peter French.
2: When I went to the police department to give a statement, they uh, actually stripped me naked and took pictures for, to take my clothes as evidence and then subjected me to 18 hours of interrogation where they basically said I was a murderer, um, I had killed Denise, uh, there was no kidnapping that happened, um, and either I needed to confess to this and say it was an accident, or if I kept denying it, they were gonna paint me as a cold calculated murderer. You may go tell her family that she's dead? Because that's what I'm prepared to do. I'm gonna go tell them that I'm not looking for alive Denise. I'm looking for dead Denise.
0: The investigators also said that a blood stain the size of a quarter had been discovered on his bed sheets. Despite Aaron saying it was an old stain that had been washed multiple times, they remained unconvinced. Overwhelmed by exhaustion and the detective's disbelief, Aaron's anxiety grew, causing him to question his mental health and whether he had experienced a schizophrenic breakdown.
2: Did not do anything. Okay, I did. I I'm pretty sure. Maybe you didn't. Maybe didn't, you didn't, didn't do. do maybe you didn't, didn't do her. Her anything. Maybe up. maybe she something happened to her
0: that you didn't plan. Maybe she, I don't know. You tell me. But it can't start with three guys showing up at the house taking taking her away. That's
2: not what happened.
0: After taking a lie detector test that police claimed he failed, giving samples of his DNA, being completely stripped, and enduring extensive questioning, they tossed Aaron an oversized jumpsuit to wear. Both investigators stressed that Denise's body would be discovered sooner or later and emphasized the importance of confessing the truth.
2: They convinced my brother to come in, and they're hoping that he can get a confession from me.
0: Following 18 hours of interrogation, Aaron's brother Ethan enlisted the services of attorney Dan Russo. On March 24th, one day after the incident, the San Francisco Chronicle received a proof of life message from Denise. The recorded message sent by the kidnappers featured her discussing a recent plane crash proving that the message was current and not from an earlier time.
2: Haskins
1: so kidnapped. Otherwise, I'm fine. Earlier today, there was a plane crash. In the house.
0: Later that day, investigators brought Aaron back to the station and requested him to send a message in response to the kidnappers. When his phone was handed to him, one of his legal team members noticed that the police had set it on airplane mode, despite being the sole means of communication. Once they disabled airplane mode, the phone was flooded with text messages, his voicemail maxed out, and he missed three calls. Together, Agent Vinnie and Aaron wrote an email that read as follows. The situation had been going on longer than I had expected. I was hoping by now that we would have come to a resolution. However, I'm very concerned about Denise. Please provide some evidence that Denise is well and that you are caring for her. I expect you to be providing the care that you promised. I will also be sending a text message, so please respond quickly so we can end this." On March 25th, 2015, Denise who had gone missing two days earlier was eventually transported and released as promised.
1: He made the decision to release me
0: and he said that he was going to
1: drive me all the way down to Southern California.
0: As the car gradually slowed down and came to a stop, the voice spoke to Denise in a mournful tone, expressing a desire for a different encounter under better circumstances. Having recognized her remarkable character, he expressed his gratitude and swiftly exited the car, circling to the passenger side and assisting her out of the vehicle.
1: When he opened the car door, I thought, I think "This is this is it. Like either, either I'm going to, Hear a gunshot and that's it, or I'm going to get pushed off a cliff. I thought I was walking to my death, and then I
0: heard a door close behind me. To her surprise, she heard the car driving away into the distance. After composing herself, she counted to ten as instructed and carefully removed the tape from her eyes. And I pulled up the blindfold
1: and I just started walking, and the only thing that I was thinking of.
0: I want to see my mom and dad." As her vision cleared, she realized she was alone in an unfamiliar alleyway. However, a sense of relief washed over her when she noticed the street sign displaying Utica, the street where her mom lived. Despite the lingering effects of the sedation, she summoned her remaining strength and made her way toward her mom's house. Yet upon arriving and knocking on the door, her heart sank as she was greeted with an empty house. She proceeded to approach a stranger on the street and asked to borrow their cell phone and made attempts to call both her mom and dad, but unfortunately, the calls went directly to voicemail. Leaving a voicemail for her dad, she began her journey towards his second floor apartment. Once more, upon arriving at his residence, she discovered that he was also not present at home. Fortunately, a kind neighbor named Annalise, who lived a few doors down, informed her that her father was away on a trip up north. Annalise expressed her condolences upon hearing about Denise's sister, unaware that Denise was a sister she was referring to. Astonished, she warmly invited her into the apartment where they reached her father who instructed her to call the police. In a matter of minutes, the authorities arrived and began asking questions. As news reached the Vallejo Police Department that Denise had been found, the detectives remained skeptical of the couple's accounts even going as far as offering immunity to the first person who would come forward and confess to fabricating the entire incident. Realizing the urgency of her situation, Denise understood that she needed to secure the services of a criminal defense attorney. Without hesitation, she hired Doug Rappaport and promptly made her way to the airport, intending to fly back to San Francisco to meet with her newly appointed legal representative. During this meeting, Denise found the courage to disclose the details of her traumatic captivity, which she had been hesitant to reveal to the police due to her fear of the kidnappers' threats against her and her family.
1: Before I was released, um, I was again threatened, and not just me, but my family. I was told, you know, you're probably going to talk to the police, but there's two things you can't say to the police. Um, Anything about us being in the military or anything about the sexual assaults. And so, I mean, I just felt like no matter what, I was going to be under the captivity of their threats for the rest of my life, and any decision I made, anything could potentially cause harm to my family. So it was a really difficult place to be.
0: She bravely shared that she'd been sexually assaulted by her kidnapper who had documented the acts on video. Immediately, Doug took action, contacting the authorities and urgently insisting that Denise be escorted to the hospital for a thorough SART exam. To Denise's dismay, they refused to conduct the examination and informed her that she would have to wait. In the meantime, Denise's unexpected return sparked a media frenzy, with numerous comparisons drawn between her situation and the popular book and film Gone Girl a fictional story that revolves around a woman who orchestrates her own disappearance as a means of seeking revenge against her unfaithful partner. The comparisons arose when the Vallejo police declared that her abduction seemed to be a carefully planned occurrence rather than a traditional kidnapping. During a press conference that same day, Vallejo police spokesperson Lieutenant Kenny Park made statements implying that the couple had provided false information regarding their ordeal.
1: Our investigation has concluded that none of the claims has been substantiated. Mr. Quinn and Ms. Huskins has plundered valuable resources away from our community. I didn't act like a good enough victim. Felt like a complete betrayal of humanity. You just don't think that people would be so cruel and for what.
0: On March 26, 2015, the San Francisco Chronicle received another message from The Voice. Frustrated by the police's insinuation that Denise's abduction was a fabrication, he sent a 19-page message with explicit details. But despite all the new evidence, the police still persisted in their belief that the couple's story was a fabrication as they deemed it too extraordinary to be genuine. Weeks passed without a break in the case until June 5th, 2015, when a major breakthrough took place. The Dublin police in California, located an hour south of Vallejo, responded to a report of a residential burglary.
2: A few months later, one of our assailants attacked another family. And in that case, they were able to fight him off
0: In this instance, the victims resisted and fought back, forcing the assailant to flee, leaving behind zip ties, duct tape, and their phone at the crime scene. By tracking the phone, police identified a woman who claimed it belonged to her son, Matthew, who had reported losing his phone the day before and was staying at their cabin in the South Lake Tahoe area. Matthew Muller was far from an ordinary criminal. He was a 38-year-old with an impressive background, having served as a U.S. Marine for five years and excelled academically at graduating with the highest honors from Pomona College in California and attending Harvard Law School.
2: And the detective from Dublin, uh, Misty, did the exact opposite of what Vallejo did. And she went above and beyond and tracked him down
0: Muller had barricaded himself inside the cabin by stacking trash, boxes, chairs, and a massage table against the front door. The police forcefully entered only to discover the six foot tall, slim physique man with brown hair and brown eyes standing quietly in the hallway. He remained silent while the police handcuffed him and took him into custody. Caruso conducted a search on Mueller's name and discovered that while he had never faced any charges, he had been a person of interest in multiple incidents in nearby cities. Specifically, there were two incidents in 2009 in Palo Alto and Mountain View where an unidentified man broke into the homes of female victims and threatened them with rape. Additionally, Caruso managed to locate the owner of the stolen car who revealed that it had been taken around the same time of a kidnapping in Mare Island where Aaron Quinn resided. While researching the kidnapping, Caruso recalled the widely publicized Gone Girl case. When she contacted the Vallejo police, they advised her to contact the FBI and shortly after two FBI agents and a representative from the Vallejo police arrived promptly in response to her information.
2: They went to South Lake Tahoe home where Matthew Muller was staying, they found uh, my laptop, they found um, a long blonde hair attached to swim goggles that were similar to what we wore, which uh, the the family in Dublin didn't have, no one had long blonde hair. And if it wasn't for her and her partner, uh, I don't know where we would be. Our reputations wouldn't be restored. I don't know if we would be working. And uh, she's a true hero.
0: Muller admitted his guilt in the federal kidnapping case and received a 40-year sentence. Despite being the only person charged, Denise and Aaron maintained their belief that others were involved. The motive behind targeting Aaron Quinn and his former fiance was never adequately explained. Denise expressed that the Vallejo Police Department failed to issue a public apology for accusing them of fabricating the incident.
2: They wrote a letter of apology. They haven't made a public apology.
0: They acknowledge that they were wrong
1: but they wouldn't have done anything different. It's kind of like, sorry, I'm not sorry.
0: In 2016, the couple took legal action by initiating a civil lawsuit against the city of Vallejo, its police department, and the officers directly implicated. The lawsuit covered a range of claims, including defamation. Eventually, they reached a settlement outside of court agreeing to a sum of 2.5 million with no party admitting any wrongdoing.
2: it wasn't for Denise, she didn't get the kidnappers to let her go. I would be behind bars.
0: In October, following a period of chaos, they began a fresh chapter in their lives by relocating to Santa Cruz. Their new residence, a duplex near the ocean, became their sanctuary brimming with positive energy and offering a sense of healing. In 2018, Denise and Aaron exchanged vows by the picturesque waterfront in Monterey, California with Denise's attorney, Doug, officiating. The couple had their first dance as husband and wife to the song, Riser, by Dirk Bentley, which they described as a symbol of overcoming adversity and growing stronger in the face of challenges. On March 25th, 2020, exactly five years after Denise's release, they joyfully welcomed their first newborn, Olivia Louise Quinn, into the world. Two years later, on October 28, 2022, they celebrated the arrival of another precious baby girl, Naomi Patricia Quinn. Despite their tragic ordeal, Denise and Aaron affirm that their journey of overcoming trauma and survival is a love story with a happy ending. this episode, please subscribe and follow me on Instagram
2: at exhibitmaypodcast.